Hello, and welcome to the TriTac Podcast. This episode, we're talking about interdimensional gaming, and we're recording live from TotalCon. Yay! <laughs> Tonight, your hosts are Blix, John Sussenberger, Jay Libby, and James Carpio. All right. TriTac puts out a lot of games. We have Fringeworthy, Bureau 13, Stalking Light, Fantastic, Hardwired Hinterlands. The game we play the most and the one we talk about the most and what this podcast started out with was Fringeworthy. And one thing that Fringeworthy brings to all these other games is that it ties them all together because you can travel to any alternate dimension and get to any one of these worlds. And on top of that, it allows you to travel to any game world and you can incorporate it and we've done a lot of shows on that. But tonight, I just want to talk about the process of what goes on from a, um, from a, from a game master's point of view and from a designer's point of view of interdimensional gaming in general. So the, the topic basically boils around um, if you're going to run an interdimensional game, so you're going to have char- you make up characters in one genre and you're going to be able to transport them to other genres, um, what kind of issues do you going to have to deal with, things you're going to have to think about? So let's start out with if you're going to run an interdimensional game, what genre would you start your characters in? I would probably go high tech, um, like future, uh, near future or far future, something, because it's easier for them to, at least for the characters, to understand the past versus handling like future stuff or things like that. Um, I would have definitely avoid doing fantasy characters coming into the future. That just gets really weird. It's like bad Beastmaster movies or, you know, just, there's just a bunch of bad things that can happen. Um, that's my take, at least. I'd go extreme post-apocalyptic disaster, kind of like the uh, what they do with like prime, the TV show Primeval. Mm-hmm. Right down that line, people like you know scavenging in caves, living under the earth, um, going back in time, trying to prevent like the cataclysm from happening, even going all the way you know straight across the board or side dimensions. So like a, like a twelve monkeys kind of world, where the people. Have, have survived some kind of craziness and they've discovered these portals and they can travel to these other worlds and other dimensions and such. Yeah, I say 12 Monkeys is a good, it's a good pick. Okay. That's good, that's good Jay. I like that. Um, actually, I kind of enjoy a more magic take on it. So instead of having technology be the basis of this inter, uh, you know, intergalactic travel or intergalactic um, co- coexistence, um, magic. So okay. perhaps, and kind of taking that sort of Shadowrun idea where some sort of gate or portal had been opened up into our world mm-hmm. and other worlds just kind of invading. Um, so more of like a techno-magic um, society where we actually use uh, the things that come through or come to us in more like everyday uses, you know, like um, possibly magic from another world that has these um, imps that maybe clean our houses or, you know, things like that. Right, so would you, would you have them, would, now, would you have your world such that... Uh, there were different portals that they would, or different, whatever, however they travel. I'm, I'm just going to call them portals. Uh-huh. Whatever. It could be a spell, whatever it is that transports them there. But would you have it so that they're all kind of surrounded the same world, sort of like rifts, or would you want them to go to other planets? Would it be, would they be actually separate? Um, actually, I want to say have it on uh, other planets. One of the things I've been really fascinated with, and uh, my girlfriend Mary can back me up on this is uh, the Stargate series, mm-hmm. which I just started watching. And it's just really amazing that we kind of go from our world 
stepping into worlds that mimic the past right. or worlds that mimic the far future and how these things just kind of combined and just even how people adapt to it. Right. So, yeah, I would definitely not because, I mean, the, the mishmash is OK, but I think it's really interesting when you you have a, a core society that suddenly interacts with another society. And I, personally, I think that makes it more interesting because there's more of a, a conflict there than like. Oh yeah, the, the the Martian down the street. Yeah, I'm used to his technology. Right. Well, that's that's exactly how Fringeworthy is. It, that's that's the idea behind Fringeworthy is you're you're going to um, you're going to other Earths. It, it, it centers around Earth, so you go to alternate Earths, and they can be but they can be crazy alternate as well. Um, so so yeah, that's it, it. It plays into that science fiction. What what makes science fiction really good is where you you take uh, real human. Um, Real human elements, and change them, put them in different, you know, put them in a different light, and then see how they react, and you, and you build on the the social impacts of it. So, so what what do you think the pitfalls would be of having, uh, say, for example, in your case, John, uh, having this high, these high tech characters with access to high technology, being able to go to these other worlds? What do you think? What would you find your pitfalls would be? Well, most of the gear would stop working just because you know, equipment is not designed to you know not be maintained or you know nothing lasts forever you right. know just stuff would just stop working or you know they couldn't find fuel or more bullets or more bullets but you know I, those aren't the, the problem is the thing is that those aren't really the type of games i usually run so it'd be well, yeah, so, i but could definitely see that being a, like major pitfalls as, as those types of things um well kind of what i was thinking though more more in the line of where would the pitfalls be from allowing those characters going oh and then worlds. you have like situations where like okay um you know i know science so now i can make you know gunpowder and all right, this other right. stuff which sure can happen and i if you're playing a transdimensional game that's Kind of the that's the brakes, right? The breaks, right. You know? So, but would you try and put some kind of like stop brakes in there somehow, like maybe uh, limit their trans? Like, for example, you take this show. I uh, remember Voyagers. They had the the Omni thing, and they couldn't really control where they went. And that was one way to control that. And then you had uh, the, yeah. the TV show Sliders. Sliders, yeah. I always they went a, to they different... had a time limit, and they couldn't just go where they wanted to. Um, would yeah. You, no. Would you try to implement some kind of uh... probably? I, I like the Sliders method. I'm I, I'm kind of a, a big fan of. Um, plot level control i right. like sometimes I, I like things in games to be a little more a little bigger than the players sometimes they just can't control the way it goes right it's the you know magic of the universe or whatever you call it right right so or the or the the uh the controlling hand the unseen controlling hand yeah the powers that be you know like the, the whole stargate was only open for 50 some odd minutes whatever deal right. you know same same thing it's just kind of like a sort of a flaw of physics that you bend whenever you need to to make the story better right because that's the way at least TV shows work or right. movies work. So, because you know, speed of plot, yes, yeah, right, type exactly. of stuff. So what is, James, do you have anything? Yeah, actually, um, one taken. My one of my favorite Star Trek episodes is a piece of the action. Okay. Where where it's set up is that the Federation went to this one alien planet that was pretty much primitive at one point, and they left a book on gangsters of the 1930s. They returned some 100 years later, and now this whole society is based on Chicago of 1930. Yeah, got you here, see? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's great. And they, always, they put the hat on Spock because they always have to cover his ears because the green skin and the weird eyebrows you know, <laughs> right. you know, doesn't show anything. But I kind of like that idea where um, modern, modern society kind of intrudes on a primitive past 
and then decades go by, and then the revisiting of that, um, I don't want to call it an experiment, because it's not really what they did in the episode, but um, I, I really like the idea of how primitive people can actually take something and then suddenly make a whole society out of it. So, um, you know, going into like time travel and things like that, or going to alternate Earths to see how, because, you know, they say like things branch, right? So every time someone has a new thought or says yes or no to a situation, it branches. So say perhaps a, a world where um, maybe we didn't have a space program because of a branching thought on some developing scientists, or maybe a world where maybe a primitive country like, um, let's just say Brazil began the first space program and America was behind in the space race and how things would evolve from there. So again, it's, it's just an interesting take. Okay. Uh, all right. So would you have some kind of um, controlling agency, like controlling this, this ability to transport these other places? Like for example, Stargate has their, um, they, their military base controlling it. Um, like for your case, the magic, maybe, maybe there's uh, some, uh, I don't know, a union of wizards that controls that technology. I mean, do you think, or would you let your players run freeform? Actually, I would kind of see the more controlled stuff as the, the bad guys in that sort of situation. It's kind of like a fascist re regime that controls time streams so they can kind of keep alternate Earths on, uh, on, a, certain, uh, on a certain level, that it doesn't go beyond something or certain things aren't allowed. So on the player character side, I would just love to have these people, and you mentioned sliders, John, um, on that kind of like, they're not going there under any sort of organization. They're kind of going there on their own free will. And in a sense, kind of like in Lost in Space, they're not really too sure where they're going to pop up next. But seeing how this particular organization um, kept, things in, uh, kept things in control. So in a sense, they're always kind of fighting the power when they're going from one world to another but just seeing how the power actually allowed those words, worlds to develop and how they're under control. Going back to the, the Stargate again, um, SG-1 is against um, various uh, system lords, as it were, how they you know, took people from Earth, like proto-humans, and how they evolved on the different planets. Um, again, you know, they're here on Earth uh, where everything's kind of free reign. When they pop there, they actually see how this particular organization or um, culture controlled the development of each of these, uh, almost in a sense, experiments on these cultures. So yeah, I, I would definitely want to see it more like freeform for the player characters, but the organization being more of the, the backstory or the villain. Those are some really good ideas. <laughs> so you want to write a book? <laughs> so you can take a nap. What? <laughs> no, Jay, when, Jay's, Jay's napping. Yeah, when it when it comes to to military organizations and you know the drugs, right? They do make for the great adversary, but players. I mean, I served in the military. I tell you right now, when I say you need to have discipline to a student, they're like, "Yeah, you're funny," but yet when they're playing a game, they they're like, "Well, I need to have some discipline, but I want to be able to do whatever I want to do." And as gamers, I mean. Do you really want to play a game where you can't do what you want to do? Right. When, I, when I want to drop a grenade into a bathroom, I should be able to do it. If I belong to a military organization that has a set of morals and standards, obviously I'm not going to be able to. I mean, even I think time traveling alone and dimensional traveling alone has its own repercussions for, for the bad things you do. 
You know, look at uh, the gods must be crazy. A Coke bottle cap changed everything. Or for those of you who have never seen it, you can try DuckTales, the Shangri-La episode, where they have the bottle caps and they end up, the whole valley is filled with nothing but bottle caps. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. Well, I think you need to. You have a daughter. Yeah, I do. So speaking of that, you have, you know, talking about your villains and stuff, what do you think makes good, you know, I know this off the top off, you know, like out of the blue, but what do you think makes for a great, or what would make for a great interdimensional villain? Um, you know, do, would it be like an organization, you know, something like, like Hydra or something like that, or, or would you want to use some kind of maybe a demon or something like what, what's your first in yeah. your feeling on that? I'm going to always go to my default belief in villains. Villains should be personal. They should be personal enemies. A villain is not a villain if he's some nameless, faceless robot. It, it must be personal. If it's a nameless, faceless robot, it's your the robot your father built built and is trying to destroy the world with. Characters need a good drive, and for me, that's most of my games all revolve, revolve around strong character driven game. You know, character driven plot. That's 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 where I stand. Three words: space. Nazi rats. I don't know. <laughs> that works too. I, it's just, I, I think villains, to have a villain in any game, you have to kind of be able to make fun of it too. Because I've, I've played in many a game where the game master or the, the person doing the writing was so stuck on their one villain where it was just, it kind of got boring after a while. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in all good pulp stories, you had the one villain who was murdered off, fell out of the airplane, was burned alive and, you know, in lava. He didn't, you know, he didn't walk out of lava the next episode. You know, there's a few other villains in between. Um, yes, I agree, John. It, it has to be personal because otherwise the player characters are not going to care about the villain other than that. But you also just can't keep harping on the, on the same thing. Take G.I. Yeah. Joe, for instance. Oh, All right. you had to go there. Oh, Jay, oh boy. Yeah, Louis going to fight words. I, move <laughs> over one words. <laughs> I can't restrain Jay, so. <laughs> Cobra Commander, or Cobra in general. It is kind of, granted, awesome, uh, awesome villain organization, but just to hear Cobra Commander screech and the same thing happen in every episode, it's like it never changed. It was never, he was so predictable, like by 10 episodes in that you could just watch it and go, oh yeah, okay, plane's going to blow up, they're going to parachute out, Roadblock's going to say something that rhymes. Uh, you know, Duke is going to give a cool PSA about not putting crayons in the microwave for evil. I mean, you know, it just, it really just kind of went nowhere. I, and now, again, if we take the same, the same series and say we, we kind of mixed it up a little bit. So, you know, G.I. Joe fights Cobra, Cobra disappears, blow up some, blows up in a mountain fortress, and then, you know, introduce something new. Because, uh, you know, repet- being repetitive is okay in certain things, but I, I think especially when you're trying to capture the imaginations of people, if you're, ser- you know, in the real world, if I was served rye toast, which I love, maybe if I had it once a week, it'd be awesome because my treat, it's like, oh, I'm going to have rye toast. But every morning, it's rye toast. For lunch, I have my tuna sandwich on rye toast. For dinner, look, it's a Reuben on rye toast. After a while, the rye toast is kind of, it's not even a novelty anymore. It's just kind of, you know. Hey, if you want to, hey, you want to change up the villain? You know, GI or Cobra disappears and they get attacked by GI Cthulhu. A rocket Cthulhu's in everything. GI Serpentor is a new villain. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you two clowns right now, and, and um, I can actually thank 
Thanks, Blix, for this. Um, and uh, the hub, I want you to make sure that you note that I'm pimping your show now and consider me for your game version of your new G.I. Joe series that, that's out, which is Cobra is now the Umbrella Corporation and G.I. Joe, the team, is now the A-Team. And if you compare the two shows and they have the same opening and it's kind of ridiculous, but it's still a pretty, pretty neat concept. It changes around. Cobra Commander is now scary. And he's not even he's not even scary like in the G.I. Joe live action movie. He is he's a real can I say the word bastard? Yes. Uh, he's a bastard, and um, I really think you should give that that show a chance there, Dreg, because it's it's not predictable G.I. Joe anymore. Well, it's... now I'm picturing like Mr. T with the Cobra Commander helmet on, just kind of like pointing. Yo, at Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and I expect Mary tomorrow to be playing Roadblock and rhyming all day. <laughs> But on the on the base of the the villain, you know, John's right. The 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 personalization of it. Um, one of the older games I'd done, uh, Guardian Universe Two, Power Overwhelming. There was a, a villain called Aegis in the in the game, and um, he was like a college professor, and his wife was pregnant, and she found out she was pregnant with like with a a baby that had like superpowers, and she had an abortion, and it, it drove him over the edge, and he like left and you know, put himself in isolation, mastered his powers so he kept hidden and came back and tried to basically, you know, crush the world be, because he felt they were responsible for, you know, the death of his child that he was never born. And I really put the emotional spin on it. And then to defeat him, the heroes bring in his now ex-wife and try to get her to talk him down. And he finally says, fine, I'll stop. But if I ever see you again, I'll kill you for what you did to, our, to my child. And I really gave it like an adult twist that, you know, I try to have grit in my, my Supers games, but I really put, I think I pushed the, the fold of morality and the, but it was a villain that, you know, you could relate, people could relate to. I mean, you know, abortion happens all the time in our country and why not put a face on it? Why not make it, you know, like look at Magneto. If you didn't push on some hot button issue, it wouldn't be a J. Libby production. Yeah, can we? Can, does iTunes even allow the word abortion in like their podcast? I have no idea. Okay, I guess we're gonna find out. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see it as a bad word. All right, so you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people because because I'm a big, you know, shocker, a big fringeworthy promoter, but um, I, I don't really encounter a lot of people who do interdimensional gaming. Whatever, maybe they haven't considered it, or they for whatever reason they just don't do it. Um, what do you think? Would like maybe you didn't think about it. Or, or, or maybe you don't want to do it. But what are, what are your thoughts on, um, on running an interdimensional campaign like like we talked about? Well, my my thing would be it would definitely have to be uh, something that I would plan from the beginning, or it would be something with a consensus among the players and the GM that, that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, that type of change is kind of a shocker to people, oh, yeah. um, and I don't I wouldn't want to spring it. Although I did once consider running a spycraft game and dropping him into Stargate. Okay. Like that, without any warning at all. But then that would be probably pretty cool because at least the players I knew were kind of cool in the Stargate. Right. But I, I could see some some people freaking out over it. And for me, it's I, I'm really careful about who I play with, and uh, I don't play generally in games with people I'm not friendly with. So mm -hmm. I I really know my players, and there would definitely have to be some buy-in ahead of time. Right. 
And that being said, then I would it would have to be very very I would have to I would have it well crafted ahead of time how right. it would happen, right? Because I'm a I'm a big believer in big scenes, big cool stuff. I like huge arcs. I like big arcs, and okay. it drives my players nuts. But I love big arcs, right. um, and that's pretty much it. As a as a former GURPS player, um, one of the things that they that a lot of people who play groups have said, if you are stuck for a campaign, and I think this works great for like multi-dimensional, is go into your room, ran, close your eyes, and randomly choose three group supplements off your shelf, you know, and and there you go, you know, groups medieval, groups cyberpunk, uh, groups circus, you know, and, and mix them together, and it really works. Personally, if I'm going to do something like that, I really don't want to think about it too much, more or less than take three random subjects, mush them together, and come up with an outcome. And, and that's where the creativity comes in. Right. You know, take three far-fetched genres and make it work. Right. And I think if you can do that, you, you've, you've pretty much mastered the, the art of, you know, creating those sort of storylines. Yeah, when we're, when we're doing, we've, we've talked about this many times, you know, talking about coming up with ideas for adventures for Fringeworthy because, you know, the problem is, is that you can go to all these worlds, all these worlds, all these worlds. That's great. Right. The problem is you can go to all these worlds, all these worlds. So you're the, the game master is always, you know, trying to keep ahead of the players and trying to like, you know, keep it interesting. And then, you know, you got all these different worlds, and, and this is, you know, one of the problems that comes up is, all right, so I got this other world, and I'm a game master. Do I have to create the whole world? I mean, like, it's hard enough running one world, and you want to say there's a thousand of them. Well, that's GURPS is awesome for that. I mean, that's one of the things we, you know. I don't think anybody in my group's ever really played GURPS or, or has played it for any serious period of time, but they love the books, man, because they're the best supplements. I'm going to go to a medieval world, medieval GURPS, and it's got everything you need to know because it's, you know, 10 billion words on everything medieval, and they, you know, they've, they've researched it to death. Well, you know, it's really frightening as a GURPS player. I don't play GURPS. Really? Yeah, it's just more or less I collect the books because they're really excellent reference pieces. Oh, yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, forgive me, Steve Jackson, but the system's kind of wonky and outdated, but the material they produce for it's amazing. Well, prior to what we're doing with the um, with Savage Worlds, with Fringeworthy, my friends and I played it a long time ago, but it's, an, it's a very old school game, and it's very crunchy, and we got away from that. We started moving towards more um, fast-paced games. And Fringe really just didn't really the, the original system didn't lend itself to that, um, but we didn't get rid of Fringe Worthy. We kept it as a setting. You know, it became like our go-to setting all the time because, you know, if you're playing a character for, you know, two years or whatever, and you're like, okay, I've played this character forever. I'm getting a little bored with him, getting bored with this world and this game and everything. We would just say, well, do you want to stop playing that character? We're going to make up new characters. It's like, well, no, I kind of like the character. But I'm kind of just kind of tired of what we're doing. You know, in comes a portal. And now you can take him anywhere. And you already know the character intimately, but now he's got all kinds of new challenges and all these new worlds to go to. But um, uh, this is something else we talked about, and I want to get your guys' take on it. We've talked about this on the show before. If you're traveling to interdimensional worlds, you're traveling all over the place, what do you think the characters need to... Um, how do you think the characters need to be trained? Like... Um, what, what what kind of skill sets do you think they're going to need? That you know, imagine you can go to any world, any time, run into any adventure. How if you're going to make a character for that, what would be your uh, what would be your mo for that? Like, what do you think? What do you think works best? I'd say common sense, because you know what? If you have enough common sense, you can survive anywhere. 
Yeah, but I'm just saying, but you're making them characters. You got points, and you, get, you know, you got points to spend or dice to roll or whatever. See, and, and that's why games games sometimes really drag because you spend all that time working on those skills, and you know, people want to kind of play the game, not not have to focus. I mean, if if you really want to go generic, you know, you could just like say a nice survival set, you know, survival skills and and some etiquette, mm-hmm. and maybe some language skills. Let's right. do Sanskrit while we're at it. Right. Social skills. Yeah. Be good with people because wherever you go. They're going to be there. You hope. Like, you hope. And if not, then you're dead. Then, then so what? <laughs> yeah, Social and survival. I'll go oh, right in the middle. Because one of the things that we discussed uh, a lot is that, you know, a specialist, someone who's a super specialist at something, well, that's fine if they're in, you know, the if they've munched in their character out to be like this super great, you know, whatever, uh, martial artist or whatever in one game. Well, now you throw them into, well, you, you can wind up anywhere. Anything could happen to you, you know. All of a sudden, that character's not so great anymore because, you know, he doesn't... Uh, wait a minute. What do you mean? There's a cliff that I have to climb down. I don't climb down cliffs. It's like, well, then you're going to die because the monster's coming over the hill at you. And Monster? I don't fight monsters. Well, now you do because you're in a world with monsters and it's planning on eating you. So we were like the super specialist. Unless you've got like five super specialists that cover every single thing and they can... They can augment each other. Like, you can't climb down the cliff. Well, I can. Get on my back. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that, that's what a, the, a party is for, right? Right. Team, no, no, it's I, all about teamwork. But, you know, I mean, you can uh, – even in the games I, – I, I, I have to go back to the games I run. Um, I – we actually encourage specializations. Mm-hmm. Um, we create niches for people to fill. They fill those niches very well. There right. is some cross-pollinization, but generally they're specialists. And that's good because there's six people at the table – you're pretty much covered. Right. Need to need to survive. Got a survivalist. You can build shelters. Need a stealthy person. Stand next to the stealthy person. You can be quiet with them. You know, uh, things like that. Right. Right. You know. So it, I guess you know if you're if you're if I was going to build a character, I'd just be I'd probably be a generalist across the board. Okay. But I definitely focus on social skills because well, there's going to be people out there. Right. I mean, what else are you unless you're just going to go to a planet with a bunch of monsters? But then you just leave because right, yeah. who cares? You know. Hey, look, no, no, we don't want that. Yeah, we talked about the, the dinosaur episode. It's like, well, if you go to go to a world with dinosaurs, right? And if it's just a world with dinosaurs, like there's no other angle to it. It's just it's like a dino world. We're leaving. We're well, not staying. Well, yeah. Or you learn how to ride ride, ride on a brontosaurus or a T Rex. Yeah. Right. So that's not a bad thing. <laughs> right. You know, just get a saddle and get up. Right. I don't know. And thinking about a character for that sort of that sort of uh, campaign setting, I was actually with, uh, going back to a television show. Um, Angel, one of the uh, gun, yeah. who was a street thug, mm-hmm. became like a super lawyer because they uploaded every bit of law and knowledge of being a lawyer into his head. So kind of taking something from like that, especially if you were like an interdimensional traveler, is to have a device that you can just get put into and depending on when the world you're going to, you're going to a jungle world, suddenly you know about botany and plants and survival tactics. You're going to a world that simulates the Wild West. Well, maybe you know etiquette and you know how to fire firearms or whatnot. So in a sense, make it, not making a character who is you know, multifunctional all the time, making a character who almost is just an average Joe who suddenly has a mission to go to a world, has all the information about that sort of world uploaded into his head, and now he's kind of like the super expert. But after he comes back from that mission, it's it's taken out, shelved, and uh, you know. So, um, and, I, and even though I haven't seen the show, um, but I've heard a lot about it, Dollhouse, Dollhouse, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. where it's that sort of thing where 
every mission, a new persona was uploaded into the person. And uh, I think just playing a character like that would be kind of neat in a sense. Maybe with a, a baseline knowledge of everything that's going on, but realistically knows that, yeah, they really don't have any knowledge except for what's put into their head. Mm. So. Right, right. So uh, uh, let's say you're playing in a campaign and you're, you're, or you're getting ready to play a campaign and your game master, well, a lot of your game masters, but let's assume you're a player. And your game master tells you, I'm going to do an interdimensional game. I'm going to run something like Fringeworthy or, or whatever, you know, whatever he decides. I'm going to run Stargate or whatever. And he says, he says, that's what I want to run. I got a great adventure planned, but you guys get to pick the system. Like, I don't care. Savage World, D&D, uh, &D, whatever system, D20, whatever system you want to use. Because um, I, have, I have an adventure in mind and I can do it for any system, but what's, what actual mechanics would you prefer to run uh, an interdimensional, you know, like a, like a freeform interdimensional game in. I'm going to sound like I'm sucking up, but I would actually say Savage Worlds. Yeah. I think it's a straightforward, real easy system to, to pick up. It's a good system, easy system for the GM to run, and it's really modular, and that's that's its strength. Right. Um, wow. I'm going to sound like the suck up too, but I'm actually going to say Savage Worlds as well. <laughs> I, just in general, the system is awesome. The fact that you can take any idea and adjusted to that 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 game because it just works for everything i can't actually think of anything that savage worlds possibly couldn't work for and it's fun yeah how about you jay i know you're not you're not the biggest <laughs> savage worlds y'all can kiss my butt um i'm actually i'm actually not gonna say g core as much as i did g core grip for drag specifically for for his perversion i i'm actually gonna go with fusion blocks yeah Okay. Which uh, I find that actually, thanks to John, um, yes, John, thanks to you, I was able to make fusion a lot simpler and even trim it down even more to the point where, you know, you could say interdimensional game. I'm like, oh, cool, I can go online, grab all the free fusion stuff, or grab Shards of Stone. And by the way, guys, I'm still not selling my copy, so stop bugging me about it. Um, and I can just like run. It's like, okay, I'm doing fusion. I need orcs. I can grab Shards of Stone. I'm doing Mecha. I can grab. Christian Conkle's, you know, free Mecha PDF, um, or any of the cyber gen, gen stuff that was online for free, or mm -hmm. the atomic stuff that um, Mark Chase did, which I, I really wish he had he stuck with Fusion a little bit longer, but, I mean, his atomic aliens, his atomic oh, war. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, you have a sucking chest wound, and, my, and kids at the comic book shop going, what's a sucking chest wound? And someone's like, wait, wait, my dad's a paramedic, i got to stick my finger in your gunshot hole, or, or your stab wound. It's like, that's a, there you go. So. Right. Fusion blocks out of the way, baby. It's free online, dillygreenbeingames.com. Uh, can I actually add one more thing? Um, uh, f uh, another system that I probably run is Fate. Fate, okay. Uh, either, um, yeah, probably uh, Starblazer Adventures or um, Diaspora or even um, Dresden Files, um, Spirit of the Century as well. They're, they're all just very solid. It's a very solid system, very fast. Again, very easy on the GM, very easy on the players. Okay. Uh, and the characters are really cool. So it looks like I'm going to need to move to New Hampshire so we can game together because obviously we have the same taste in Absolutely. systems. Yeah, Fate is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and not like Savage Worlds is actually a set of mechanics where Fate is kind of very adjustable mechanics because you're not dealing with absolutes like skills, um, they're, you know, edges and such in Savage Worlds. You're basically dealing with aspects, which are anything you can ever make up for the character 
and that makes the mechanics. So it's very free form, uh, just an awesome system. So yes, I would say Fade as well. Okay, cool, cool. Um, all right, so let's let's get this wrapped up. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about you know inter like any thoughts you have on interdimensional gaming that that we haven't touched upon that uh, that you think can either take away? I mean, it, it could be something negative. It's just fine, you know. You might say, well, you know, this is really great and all, and, and, and I like the conversation, but I would never do it because of this. Well, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not. This is really a negative thing, but one of the things I would have a problem with with a lot of the jumping from site to site mm -hmm. is lack of consistency or uh, yeah, consistency in in the game cycle. Like you meet an NPC in this location, well, they're gone. Mm -hmm. There's no. In my in the games I run, there's a there's usually a, there's usually a lot of NPC character interaction. I mean, it just it just happens. Uh, my players like the NPCs. I don't know why. Sometimes they marry them. It's a little weird, but that happens. Uh, you know, and and the, I may have a problem with that. On the other hand, it would be good for a game that you bounce back and forth. That would be kind of cool. Like, right. oh, we'll go back to this planet because uh, you know you guys did a really good job, and they, the locals want you back because they're, they want you to know, negotiate the peace treaty. And that hot or, girl that we met. And that hot weird. girl or guy or whatever. Um, yeah, it works. Right. So I mean, and that's that's cool. I would like that. I I I don't like the st Stargate is cool. The problem with Stargate is it's bouncy, 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 bouncy. Right. Yeah. So if you were to do it, you would you would absolutely have it so that people could go where they needed to go when they wanted to go there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. What's you, Jay? What do you think? Um, well, I will pimp G Core at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in in the Guardian Universe setting, like we've I've had like three different Guardian Universe books, so I can actually know now four. And in order to like you know, make everything accustomed to different rule systems. I just said this is this is this dimension one, this is this dimension, and so on. And um, for my for one of my home games, I had this character called the Surgeon, and a, a team called the All Stars. And the Surgeon was pulling all the strings, and the Superman character gets kidnapped by the Surgeon, who doesn't realize you know. And the Superman character gets basically his head blown off. Mm -hmm. And so then, what does he do? He goes to another dimension, creates a clone of this superhero, and lets him loose on the planet. And then goes to another dimension and does the same thing until he hits a world full of zombies. And now you have a zombie Superman. And then he's now in the current incarnation of the Guardian Universe 3 setting for G-Core. Where he's like living in the sewers of Chicago. Up to still doing the same thing where, you know, he's, he's up to no good. But he's using all his technology he's gotten from other dimensions. And he keeps basically dropping bombs in every dimension he goes to. Everyone thinks, oh, he's such a great guy and he's a real bastard. Oh, okay. You know, and in that type of dimensional game is great. If you're a superhero and you're finally trying to, to pin the surgeon down in one dimension, you know, you could find yourself, I'm in the zombie dimension and I got bitten and now I'm going back to my home dimension. And next thing you know, you're doing the Marvel zombies thing running around, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bite you. And now you got like 20 zombies running around. Right. So I, I like the idea, but it really does need to be focused because John's right. I mean, you know, it kind of, once you start, Dimension hopping, and it, you lose the the personality of, of the actual game itself. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I guess the the challenge for inter, uh, interdimensional gaming would actually be currency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because honestly, you know, you can go there. I mean, honestly, you can bring stuff with you from your current dimension, but once that runs out, and you need to buy food, or you need to have something to barter with or trade with. You're not going to come with like a you know an RV you know through through the gate to with you know every possible thing you could possibly barter you know like gems or 
coins or money or whatever. So I think that'd be the most uh, challenge is to have a um, the uniform way of having the characters purchase things or buy things or get things once they're in that new dimension. Right. right. Yeah. That actually in French that is a big issue because. Um, you know, the dollars are almost never the same. So if you show yeah. up with physical cash, it's like, and you can't show up with electronic cash because, you know, you're, you may, the, your software may not even integrate with their software. So mostly what they travel with is gold and gems because that generally tends to be universal, not always, but it generally does. I, w- I want to touch on Drake's comment. It, it kind of reminds me of a, why can't it be like Street Fighter the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme and all that, that, that money the guy had printed up or, uh, even Doctor Who, he travels to all those different worlds with his pockets of infinite cash and about everything else. Well, what you need is psychic money. Yeah, psychic that money. would be pretty darn cool. Yeah, this is $20. There you go. Yeah, BBC, <laughs> I hope you're listening. Psychic money for Doctor Who, season seven. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that wraps it up for this edition of the TriTag Podcast. Thank you all for showing up. license 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.